0: You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed.
1: Uh, I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the Accursed in the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Taqeed and we and myself, Ali Dhammad. The time is approaching three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 7th of July, 2023. As always, we have a very packed program uh, this morning. Uh, the Breakfast Show is an interactive broadcast. It means that all our listeners have the opportunity to join in any of the discussions taking place during the course of the program. All you need to do is to pick up the phone, dial 208 and you sh- and share your thoughts with us. Alternatively, you can tweet us at The Voice of Islam UK. Uh, that's our Twitter handle. I think there is a, Imam there is a new uh, version of t- uh, Twitter now, isn't it? Called Threads. Um, so that's uh, also something that people can. I've
2: not been following uh, Have you have used it yourself?
1: I haven't used it, but I've heard that uh, they've got already 3 million. Um, yes, 3 million. Uh, or is it 30 million?
2: Okay, yes. and so then, what's what will happen to Twitter? itself? I don't know.
1: Well, uh, well we hope, uh, but we don't know, because at the moment it's come in for a lot of criticism since Elon Musk has taken it mm. uh, taken it up. Apparently, that's got three hundred million users. Wow! Yeah. So uh, threads have has got a lot to catch up. So, uh, so I'm sure um, once. Um, um, it gets uh, going, then I'm sure that uh, our listeners will be able to communicate to us on the, on that platform as well. Um,
2: so I, sh- I should uh, that means I should m- make account for on threads for myself.
1: <laughs> 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 yes, uh, you're young and you need to be with it, as they say. Uh, certainly, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, uh, as far as the um, round down rundown of the program is concerned. Uh, We were looking at the weather in a few minutes' time, and then uh, some of the stories that uh, are circulating around in the wider media, as well as some stories that uh, are featuring with the Um, Amdiya Muslim community, that's also going to be something that we'll be looking at. Uh, And after that, uh, as always, we'll be focusing our attention on two topics that we will be spending more time on, Uh, to start off with uh, we will be looking at the issue of charitable giving particularly uh, in the current economic crisis where many are finding it difficult to make ends meet so the subject we have tabled to review is uh, uh, highlighted or uh, titled as follows the need for charity in the current climate Uh, we'll be looking at the subject with the help of uh, Edward uh, Garrett, he's the head of uh, private clients at the uh, Charities Aid Foundation. Uh, so we'll be seeing what uh, we can glean from uh, that discussion there. Uh, and for our second topic, we'll be uh, considering the question, has human intelligence reached its peak? Uh, it's an interesting question and was prompted by something we found on the BBC website. Apparently. Our IQ has continued to grow over the past several decades, but there are signs now that it may be receding or declining. So what's this all about, uh, I wonder? And uh, if you're intrigued uh, as much as I am, I'm sure you'll be uh, uh, making uh, a point of remaining tuned in uh, from 8.15 onwards when we're looking at that particular item. We hope to be joined by Imam Asif Munir from New Zealand to discuss that uh, particular point and uh, that particular topic as well. And we'll, of course, be having uh, the Islamic view on to all that we discussed from our uh, resident imam, uh, Imam Tuk-Keith and we, And he'll be kicking uh, off with the uh, first segment of the show, which is the weather and the news. Over to you, sir.
2: Yes, yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, the weather um, and the forecast for today is looking... Uh really good very nice and sunny Uh, and this from bbc weather the forecast is today looks to be dry and fine day with plenty of sunshine expected throughout and little to no cloud around a very warm day in the sunshine so that's the forecast for today and tonight uh, the forecast is that after a sunny evening the night will continue to see dry and clear conditions throughout with no clouds around a warm night with a southerly breeze so this uh weekend weather we we have on uh, on a Friday. I wish I had this on my day off on a oh, Sunday.
1: Yeah, was it raining on Sunday?
2: Uh, it, it was actually. Um, I had my day off last week on uh, oh. Saturday, but uh-huh. um, last as yeah. our listeners know as well, the last week it was the Eidul Adha. Yeah. Um, on uh, on on Thursday, mm. so yeah, it was, I, I quite enjoyed it actually. Uh, just spent time with the family. Mm. Uh, went to went to maybe the towards the beach area. Uh-huh. Uh, enjoyed the enjoyed the nice nice uh-huh. weather. Sweet. How about yourself?
1: Mm, no, I didn't go to the beach. Did you go and have a swim, uh, or was it not safe enough?
2: No, no. It was, I, 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 whenever I go, I mm. I take my raft. Oh. and i and i always go go um go swimming as well so i really i, I definitely uh-huh. <laughs> enjoy
1: that. all right the water was good enough uh there's a lot of pollution these days yeah yeah no uh-huh.
2: that, that, i think it's uh it's it was fine it was it was a nice nice day yeah
1: so uh, i mean you asked so uh, i uh, we spent uh, uh yes with family um uh, the bigger family so uh, the Eid day, and uh, spent it at our place and uh, had a barbecue. Oh, uh,
3: nice.
1: Yes. Um, well, I watched uh, <laughs> as uh, my, as my children cooked. Uh, and um, uh, it was the forecast for um, Eid was very good in the sense that um, there was rain forecast in yeah. the uh, yeah. early part of the day. Yeah. But during the uh, uh, early afternoon and uh, the rest of the day, it was supposed to be dry, and it proved to be so. Mm. Um, so the forecast was very favourable uh, by the grace of God, and yes, so it was a very enjoyable. And
2: and how do you like your steak, medium rare or, so, well, uh, done or <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, well done Oh, well done. Yes, with my teeth, it has to be well done. <laughs> and uh, uh, but we didn't have. Uh, um steak, uh, we had uh, kebabs and uh, <laughs> chicken tikka. I'm feeling hungry now. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. we had, the, yes, we had them. So yes, it was quite an eventful, uh, eventful day. But uh, yeah. um, these days are um, good because they bring pe- uh, families together. <laughs> absolutely and, uh, that's one of the purposes of eid isn't it absolutely yeah.
2: and and uh, the eid al adha uh, adha means sacrifice and uh, this itself um is a very important eid where muslims around the world they do partake in what is called qurbani which is either they will be sacrificing a goat um a camel or, or a cow or they can even partake with that with their with someone else and a portion Of that meat will then be distributed to um, poor members of the society and uh, His Holiness even this Friday sermon you know he mentioned that there are there are, there are, there are people in the poorer countries in Africa in Pakistan or in India where are people they haven't eaten meat maybe throughout the year or they haven't eaten for a couple of years so you know sometimes this is their only time where when meat is being distributed they they can eat meat and it, it's it's quite um you know when you when you hear that there are there are people out there that that haven't eaten meat for years and you know something definitely we we take for granted when you know where we live in a country where uh, there is you know so much meat you know we have we're literally having meat with every, every meal we eat so uh, I think definitely for food for thought for all of us um, uh, one article uh, Brother Valid which is mm. um, in the wider media and uh, which is uh, of uh, you know a topic of discussion as well is uh, you know the French protests which have been taking place uh, so on the tw- on 27th of June Nahil uh, Merzouk, who was of Arab descent so he was shot in the head by the French police in Paris, in the suburbs of uh, Nandri. And there is a video evidence of what occurred that seems to contradict the initial narrative of the police regarding what occurred. And in any case, the incident has caused protest and riots, feeding long-standing complaints of police violence and... Uh, systemic racism inside law enforcement agencies and the protests have also turned violent at criminal laws at times and in the wake of these protests and riots these there are many who have insisted that this violence is the work of muslim immigrants and refugees that is that it should be taken as evidence that muslims would riot and loot since that is what their religion teaches god forbid Um, And videos on social media of protest chanting Allahu Akbar seems to further fuel those voices that say that Islam teaches Muslims to resort to violence and to make their voices heard. So therefore, um, on this topic of discussion, uh, I just wanted to look at a few uh, points what Islam says regarding such protests. So since the shooting, police... And uh, firefighters they have struggled to protest and extinguish mm-hmm. numerous blazes through the night that damaged schools, police stations, town halls, or other public buildings. According to a spokesman from the national police and the national police, they've also reported fires of skirmishes in multiple sites, and more than two hundred officers were injured in the unrest on Thursday night, and more than six thousand fires were attended by the fire brigade and the police and nearly 500 buildings have been affected according to the news um, and despite what many have uh, would have us believe damaging public property to affect social and perhaps moral change is completely forbidden in Islam and Allah the Almighty actually in the Holy Quran he says in uh, chapter 4 verse 60 that Oji who believe Obey Allah and His Messenger and those who are in authority among you. And similarly, the the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, is reported to have at one place said that whoever notices something that he dislikes done by his ruler, then he should be patient for whoever becomes separated from the company of the Muslim, even for a span, then dies, he will die as those who died. ...in the pre-Islamic period of ignorance as rebellious sinners. Um, And also speaking on this Islamic teachings of loyalty to one's nation... uh, ...the current head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Azamiz Amsoor Ahmed... ...at one place at the inauguration of Beth Bethlehem Mosque on the 11th of October 2003... ...he said, and I quote, that a true Muslim can never raise his voice... ...in hatred against his fellow citizens nor for that matter against the ruling authority or government of the time. It is the responsibility of a true Muslim that he should remain loyal and fully abide by the laws of the land of which he is a subject. And furthermore, um, if we look at another place in the Holy Quran, Allah the Almighty says in chapter 7 verse 75, And commit not iniquity in the earth, causing disorder. And the protests in France... Um, have people uh destroying the property of those who have nothing to do with the ongoing problem. And this also goes against the teaching of Islam which uphold the rights of the innocent. And uh adding to that as well I wanted to read a quote out of his Holiness Hazam Surah Ahmed, which he addressed um at the his ad and this from his address at the military headquarters in Koblenz in Germany on the 13th of May 2012 and His Holiness he said and I quote that it should be remembered that even where protests or strikes are conducted peacefully without recourse to criminal damage or violence they can still have a very negative effect and this is because even peaceful protests often result in the loss of millions to nations economy and under no circumstances can such behaviour be considered to be an example of loyalty to the nation. A golden principle taught by the founder of the Muslim Jamaat was that under all circumstances we must always remain obedient to Allah, to the prophets and to the rulers of our nation. And this is the same teaching given in the Holy Quran. Hence even where a country permits or strikes or protests to take place they should only be conducted to the extent where they do not harm or cause damage to the nation or to the economy so i, I think with these uh, references that we've just looked at it highlights that as a muslim uh, it is wrong that uh, you know uh, you damage the properties of others and you know uh, you in that sense you know spread havoc within the country uh, but rather islam teaches that uh, you know it is through your conduct and you know that the, the, if you do want to channel your voice then it should be done in the right means you know, in in the means where you don't hurt um you know you're not causing chaos and you know maybe write a letter to to your mp or you know to to the person of power to get your message across and this is what islam teaches that you know if you do want to get your message across then it will be First and foremost, through your conduct, and uh, you know, spread your teachings as well. Let people know peacefully that you know, Islam. This is what Islam says, and uh, rather what we've looked at some of the behaviors, in in um, in France, it shows that this is not, uh, this is not what Islam teaches, and in fact, um, you know, we we should we should condemn it when we see such acts. Uh, so yeah, th- this one particular news item. Uh, I wanted to discuss brother Willi. we we mm. will be uh, looking more into this in one of our future shows um, mm-hmm. God be willing
1: It's very important that uh, you issue that clarification uh, because unfortunately we are living through times when uh, uh, Islam is being besmirched in this uh, fashion uh, where illegalities and excesses are attributed to the religion rather than uh, to other reasons and other factors that are at play, most notably political uh, factors and uh, uh, social factors. But anyway, uh, there we are at the moment in the community um, preparing for uh, the big event that is taking place at the end of this month, which is the Jalsa Salana. A lot of our um, workforce is, uh, is making sure that... Um, that uh, proceeds uh, well, although it's taking place at the end of the month, but the uh, preparations start well before uh, in order to uh, set up uh, this uh, particular uh, occasion, this particular event. Um, I don't know, where, where would you be uh, expected to be uh, serving then?
2: For for the Jalsa Salana Yes. yes. Uh, so so uh this this year actually, uh, uh Brother Walid, we're going to be having our exhibition for the uh for our Kfinor department. Oh, okay. Um uh so uh, you know, as I've explained to the listeners as well, um this scheme was initiated in nineteen eighty seven by the fourth caliph and uh the whole purpose is that uh, you know, parents they dedicate their unborn children for the propagation of the faith so mm-hmm. this is uh, in a nutshell what the okay. what the department is and then we cater for these youngsters and in this exhibition we're going to be having um we've we've got some merchandise as well we've got some badges uh we've ordered some line yards um mm-hmm. we've got some shirts some pens with the with the with our logo on it so uh i definitely uh brother Valida, I would yeah. recommend uh, you know, you come to our exhibition, we can give okay. you a discount as well if you want. Okay, all right. <laughs> <laughs> this, this much I can do. Oh,
1: good, okay. Okay, i look forward <laughs> to that. I'll, yeah, very good, thank you very much. Uh, any other exhibitions? Do you know that? At yeah,
2: there, there's going to be quite a few exhibitions, actually. Um, Obviously, uh, we have the Maghzina uh-huh. They They hold the exhibition, Review of Religion. You know, these two departments, they hold... Um, some great exhibitions for the annual convention. Apart from that, um, press and media will be also be holding it. Um, we we have uh, the I T uh This also a new department. They will also be holding an exhibition. Mm-hmm. So quite a number of exhibitions which will be held. I know Voice of Islam will also be. Um, will, yes. Would also be having their own marquee there as we usually do. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, are you looking forward to the? To the uh, Jalsa Salah.
1: Yes, uh, as always, because um, it's a very uh, eventful three days, isn't it, uh, that uh, we have uh, a lot to do, a lot to see, and then there's a lot of uh, very inspiring speeches uh, to listen to, um, which uh, really gives, uh, if you at- are able to attend them. Uh, gives you um, a spiritual uplift uh, which is uh, one of the central are,
2: are you objectives also, Are you also one of the speakers? Uh,
1: not this year <laughs> <laughs> Not last year either <laughs> But perhaps you can put a good word for me uh, and uh, maybe next year <laughs> No uh, I think there are better qualified uh, individuals that have that uh, privilege Um Moving on to uh, other uh, stories that are featuring in the wider media, um, Imam be uh, talked about um, enjoying his time on Eid at the river. Uh, <laughs> now, there is a connection to this with regards to um, uh, Thames water uh, and private, privatized companies in general, privatized water companies in general, because they have come under a great deal of criticism lately for the manner in which they have uh, squandered the asset of the country, uh, while chief executives and shareholders have been lining their pockets with uh, the proceeds at the expense of the service and their customers. Thames Water, for instance, have run a debt of £14 billion and not attended to the renewal of the Victorian infrastructure of the company, uh, planning to fund this in the future by raising or collecting money from customers by increasing their water bills. Um, so this has come for a great deal of criticism. Early this week, the company Times Water was fined several uh, million pounds for polluting rivers by pouring sewage issued of treaty into a waterway. So this is why... I was a bit um, apprehensive and a bit concerned as to whether Imam Sokir okay, actually was <laughs> <laughs> had the misfortune of uh, of uh, uh, the kind of water that has been contaminated mm-hmm. uh, in this way. But hopefully that was not the case. Uh, you were not in the uh, area where um, mm. this was done. This is uh, apparently in Gatwick Stream and River Mall and where um, uh, this was in 2017 but it has continued also recently as well but um, as a result there's also been it's not just uh, unfortunate for those people who want to use the rivers that it's polluted in this way but it's also has serious ecological consequences and uh, in uh, 2017 1400 dead fish were found uh, in this area after the water company had pumped its uh, raw sewage into them. And um, the case was heard earlier this week, uh, and uh, Thames Water admitted their guilt. They apologised for the entire incident, and uh, they were uh, fined as a a consequence. Um, There is a lot of concern uh, regarding this, uh, and uh, the way that water companies in general are uh, handling our asset and also the way that um, complaints are handled. Now this uh, event or this judgment that took place what only last week uh, was six years after the event had taken place, the wrongdoing had taken place. So this is uh, alarming and uh, the environmental agency that uh, actually complained and uh, uh, was the one that had was uh, the one that uh, brought the whole issue to court. Uh, to court uh, is now pursuing unlimited fines through civil sanctions because it believes it'll be faster and require lower burden of proof. Other water companies have also fallen foul in this way of uh, misbehaving or not conducting themselves in the best uh, manner as. Uh, Uh, They should. Anglian Water was ordered to pay 2.65 million in April. Southern Water had to pay 90 million uh, a couple of years ago for their wrongdoings. So, a lot of concern in general about what's happening here. Um, And, uh, well, we'll see how things uh, unfold uh, in the future. But uh, uh, there is an election that is uh, on the horizon. Uh, We'll see how water companies fare. But there is a lot of pressure in bringing them back into uh, public ownership. Um, So that's that uh, particular uh, story. The other story that um, caught my eye was regarding um, the weather. Uh, The 3rd of July, this is Monday, uh, that's just gone, was the world's hottest day since records began and the average worldwide temperature reached uh, 17.01 degrees centigrade, breaking the previous record which was attained in August 2016. Now the figure was bolstered by a record-breaking heat wave in Texas with temperatures of around 40 degrees centigrade and in China where the uh, temperatures hit 35 degrees uh, centigrade. And this is according uh, to the U.S. government's National Centers for Environment Prediction. The findings have caused concern about our future. Professor Frederica Otto, senior lecturer in climate uh, science at Imperial College, said, it is not a milestone we should celebrate. It's a death sentence for people and ecosystems. Very ominous there. Uh, Our government seems... um, well this is the accusation that has been leveled at the government that it seems unconcerned about it all uh, and it is considering uh, dropping its pledge to uh, spend 11.6 billion on climate uh, and nature funding uh, this was uh, part of the 100 billion dollars a year global package agreed in 2019 to support developing countries tackling climate change Rebecca Newsom of Greenpeace uh, UK said, averting the greatest threat of life on earth depends on building trust and momentum among nations, especially around funding pledges. This leak shows the precise opposite. Promises made by the government before the Glasgow summit risk unraveling like thread from a cheap suit. Uh, so she's not very happy. There's a lot of uh, concern in that uh, constituency regarding. Uh, our efforts uh, concerning the planet and we'll see how this unfolds. Unfortunately it is very much a case of people, uh, it is alleged, I must say, uh, seeking uh, seeking or or bowing to the dollar rather than to the consequences, uh, the serious consequences of uh, what they're doing uh, in uh, general to uh, our environment, so we'll see how things unfold there. Um, very quickly, uh, one of the news that uh, needs to be mentioned is the NHS. It's 75 years old, and it's so. Uh, this was uh, founded in uh, on 5th of July uh, 1948, so the anniversary was just a couple of days ago. Um, the NHS is uh, was the first universal health system available to all at the point of delivery. It is the first also um available at the uh, free at the point of delivery. Now, it is a service that is much prized by the public where survey after survey show that the nation will loathe to lose its underlying ethos or being free at the point of delivery, yet attempts by successive governments, including Labour, have continuously been made in trying to privatise elements of it in some way. Nevertheless, the NHS has continued to survive, achieving landmarks throughout the years. Uh, It achieved the world's first liver and uh, heart and lung transport in 1987, and recently, underneath the first uh, uh, world's first rapid whole genome sequence service for seriously ill babies and children. It was responsible for finding the world's first effective treatment of COVID-19 and rolled out an effective vaccine uh, program, the first of its kind. So uh, it has uh, got uh, remarkable uh, achievements under its hat. For a religious uh, station like ours, it was uh, especially heartening to note that in the celebrations gratitude to god was not overlooked in this uh, when uh, marking the 75th uh, anniversary of the nhs a special service at westminster abbey was held at 11 during uh, which uh, royal highnesses the duke and duchess of edinburgh were accompanied by the nhs staff or some representatives of its senior government and political leaders health leaders and celebrities uh, it was addressed by the NHS uh, Chief Executive Amanda Pritchard and joined by 91-year-old Enid Richmond, who was one of the first people to work in the NHS as a junior clerical worker and a sister still volunteers for the health service. So it was an interesting day, uh, but the future of uh, the NHS remains somewhat uncertain uh, and there are moves to try and... Uh, Reorganize the service so that um, it can provide uh, better uh, for uh, the uh, users. Let's hope. Um, let's see how that unfolds, and if there is any dramatic change, and of course we can hear about it on this radio station uh, when and as it occurs. Uh, now we have to. It's uh, past uh, over 7:30 mark when. Uh, we need to address the first of our main stories. Uh, and the first of our main stories in, is entitled The Need for Charity in the Current Climate. And this is something that we picked up from a website. It was the Red Cross website. And uh, it's uh, the main points of it uh, read as follows. To make the world a better place for everyone in the current climate, everyone needs to play a part. Maybe that's through volunteering your time or skills for a cause you care about, or perhaps it's something as simple as being kind to strangers you meet in your day-to-day life. One important way is through charity. Post-COVID, there have been many new charities to help people, and now with the cost of living crisis, the need for charity is even more important. Uh, The concept of uh, charity in Islam Uh, we have to remember that um, those um, who are financially able are supposed to, uh, and there's a set criteria for this, uh, uh, dedicate 2.5% or donate 2.5% of their unused income uh, to charity. Uh, And uh, there are a lot of uh, charitable organisations because the, of the emphasis that Islam places on charity. There are a lot of organizations uh, that uh, have emerged from uh, in Muslim, uh, in Muslim um, societies, Muslim countries, uh, because of this uh, strong emphasis of, uh, on uh, charitable giving and helping those in need. Um, we ourselves have uh, in this community Um, the Humanity First Charity and also the international uh, architects and engineers which also do a lot of charitable work in the uh, developing countries and um, uh, as far as um, religious teachings are concerned um, it is thought or we feel that uh, the uh, Muslims uh, consider to have a greater responsibility in this respect, greater onus to to do so, uh, because of um, the underlying foundation of the faith uh, is such that it promotes this particular aspect of uh, our conduct. Um, There's an Islamic perspective. Do we have... uh
2: Yes, of course, of course. Um, I mean, but, you you know, when it comes to charity, as we always mention that uh, this plays a huge role within Islam as well, how important it is as a Muslim (coughs) that we should look after those who are vulnerable uh, members of the society. Um, And, uh, you know, I remember His Holiness at one of the annual conventions. He was reading out... Uh, some figures, and he mentioned that in the world, actually, is the is Muslims who give the most charity in the world, um, and this obviously is in line with what Islam teaches as well. As we look, if we look in the Holy Quran, if we look at chapter fifty one, verse twenty, Allah the Almighty, uh, he says in the Holy Quran, uh, in the name of Allah the Gracious the Merciful, and in their wealth was a share for one who asked for help and for one who could not. So Islam says that as a Muslim, not only is it the duty that whoever asks for help, that you should help them, but Islam says that rather you should look at the suffering of those individuals who don't even ask for help. So Islam says that look into those individuals as well that who don't even ask for help, and then it is your duty that you should help them Uh, not only that but islam says that within your wealth it is a share for them as well so as a muslim it is our duty that we should look after um, our our brothers Uh, we do have a short clip for our listeners as well Um, and this is on the question on what is the need of giving zakat after the demise of the holy prophet peace and blessings be upon him so we're just going to be listening to this uh, short clip
3: after the demise of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam some muslims refused to pay the zakat thinking that it was only necessary during the life of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam if there is no compulsion in matters pertaining to faith why was zakat forced upon them Um, dr saab perhaps you could just shed light on this in terms of What
4: are the (coughs) fundamentals of of the Islamic faith and how this relates to that?
0: Sure. I mean, Islam is um, based upon the pillars of Islam. And Zakat is one of the uh, pillars of Islam. So it's one of the fundamental uh, uh, issues that we have have in Islam. And uh, obviously this is something that is not a temporary um, commandment, but it is a commandment for Muslims throughout their life. However, with zakat, we, we know that there are many conditions that you have to fulfill if zakat becomes payable by you. Uh, and it uh, pertains to the wealth that you might have o- over a period of a year, and the percentage of zakat has to be paid upon upon that. So it was not a temporary command that was given to Muslims as far as zakat is concerned, but it was um, for time, time immemorial. So this is something that we have to remember that as a pillar of Islam, like all the pillars of Islam, they are, they are permanent and they are not for uh, just for a short period in that respect.
5: I think uh, Dr. saib uh, uh, he has perhaps uh, put this question in the context of uh, forcing something upon people. And also he has in mind that uh, the principle of Islam is like Rahafid din that there is no compulsion in matters of religion as a matter of fact this verse should be understood uh, very clearly so far as propagation of Islam is concerned or making other people believe in Islam or enter into the fold of Islam is concerned or after entering, remaining within the fold of Islam or converting anybody into the fold of Islam all these things are concerned naturally this is a clear guidance, permanent guidance, no change in it that there is no compulsion in matters of religion but once people out of their independent choice of their own volition without any coercion or compulsion upon them once they decide that they would like to join the fold of Islam then of course they have to follow the rules of the house as they say when you enter into a a company to to secure a job and you go there by signing that you are now a member of this uh, organization or this company you take upon yourself that you are going to abide by the rules and the regulation otherwise there is no meaning in it so the decision making is voluntary but when people become muslims then of course they are supposed just like any other follower of a religion that they have to follow the rules of their religion so zakat being one of the rules in Islam they will be required that they have to abide by that so in that context I think it's not an element of coercion it is only a matter of asking them and requiring from them that, look, you voluntarily agreed to follow the commandments of Islam. Now it is your turn to comply it.
1: Right, so that is one aspect of the Islamic view regarding uh, the issue of Zakat. We also have um, online uh, Edward Garrett. Um, He's the head of private clients at the Charities Aid Foundation. Uh, um, Edward, thank you very much for coming on uh, and joining us on the uh, Breakfast Show.
4: Good morning. Thank you for having me. Uh,
1: yes, uh, we're discussing the issue of charity, especially in the current climate. Uh, but before we uh, get on to that, um, can you tell us uh, a bit about uh, what uh, the role of charities aid foundation is uh, that you represent?
4: Sure. Um, we we I'm very happy for you to refer to it as CAF to save a save a few um, times. To charities Aid Foundation. Uh-huh. Um, is, uh, doesn't stumble off the tongue. We are a charity that champions philanthropic giving and supports the global charity sector. Our mission in doing that is to accelerate progress in society towards a fair and sustainable future for all. Um, We've been doing that for 99 years. Next year is our centenary. Um, And during that time, we've sat at the nexus between donors, charities, and the governments and other state actors that um, influence the the, the charity sector as a whole. And we see ourselves as providing the connections and the infrastructure and the resources that are essential to powering social progress. Um, So all of that looks like um, last year, we incurred uh, just around £1 billion worth of donations into the charity sector globally and that that was across more than 100 100 countries around the world Mm -hmm. Uh, so we partner with corporate and private donors um to make their giving as impactful as possible we support charities and social enterprises um enabling them to do more of their life changing work through the funding and support and advisory services that we can offer them and more broadly we collaborate across sectors and borders to inspire innovation in sector and champion its value so that civil society can thrive.
1: Right. Um, Do you find that uh, recently there's been an increase in the number of charitable organisations in these kind of donations through charity?
4: There has. Overall, there has been an increase in the number of charities. Yes. Uh, but I think underneath those headline figures, there's quite a lot of nuance. Um, uh, Charities are often created to meet a very specific need in society, Um, whether that's responding to a natural disaster or um, caring for um, a group of people that that might need that, helping children to read, or or all of the other reasons that charities might be set up. Um, And... Almost half of the UK's 160,000 charities have an income of less than £10,000 annually. Um, and uh, around 80% of all of those 160,000 charities have an income of under £100,000 annually. So um, there's a lot of smaller charities that are driving that headline figure of um, more charitable organisations being created. Um, I think the key bit is that the number of charities being run and supported by people across the UK is really just a reflection of our appetite for doing something good. Um, and uh, yeah, um, for the, yeah. The, 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 how those charities are funded is the critical thing.
1: Right. Uh, my, my colleague is also going to be asking a couple of questions before he does that. Um, what, what's driving, what do you think is driving this increase if there is an increase in uh, in charitable giving
4: um well uh it's um the actual in terms of charitable giving mm. Whilst we in the last couple of years we have seen an increase in the kind of growth value of giving actually um the the effects of the pandemic and the cost of living crisis have, in uh, real terms value, have actually seen uh, a reduction in the level of giving and the level of volunteering um, across the UK. Uh, So we're seeing it's highly likely that smaller charities are going to be most acutely affected by those issues. Um, They've seen a significant increase in demand on their services, and at the same time with the cost of energy rising and the cost of inflation impacting uh, access to capital, seeing the value of living going down. So our um, research shows that four-fifths of charities say that demand for their services has increased compared to a year ago, um, and fewer than two-fifths of charities have high levels of confidence that they can afford to meet. Current demand for their services. So, uh, again, it's, it's really important to look at the, the headline figures in the context of, of what's going on
1: in the, in the No, no, that's very interesting. Thanks very much for that clarification. Uh, here's my colleague. Uh,
2: good morning, Edward. Thank you for joining us. Um, I wanted to ask you do you think that currently the way different charities operate is sufficient to fulfill the demands of the society? Or can there be changes made to improve the roles of charity organisations?
4: That's a really great question. And that is at the heart of what we do as an organisation, is to Mm. make charity as impactful and effective as possible. I think that um, there is no simple answer to that question uh, because demand... Uh, is it, never stationary, it's never and change The required to respond to that demand is never one directional. Uh, the environment in which charities operate is constantly evolving, and so the way that charities need to operate must evolve with it. And I think those examples I just gave of um, how, you know, the, the significant changes we've seen and shocks we've seen through the pandemic and the co- current cost of living crisis are impacting charities. are are, are big drivers of change. But I think it's really important to focus on the fact that overwhelmingly charities do an absolutely fantastic job in difficult circumstances and make a huge contribution to improving people's lives and tackling some of the world's greatest problems. But specifically, to respond to your question in terms of potential changes, um, I think that... um, Charities in the UK are regulated by the Charity Commission um, to ensure they're they're effectively managed and run. And I think our framework in the UK is um, very widely regarded around the world as one of the most mature and effectively managed charity sectors. Uh, So I think we do a fantastic job of managing our charities and they come in all forms of shapes and sizes. Um, As you'll be aware from the tiny organisations with those smaller income to the much larger, larger global charities. Uh, And we do see that charities are evolving the way that they run um, in response to change. And um, that is being driven by the charities themselves and the relationships they have with funders not necessarily being driven by changes in regulation, which can often take a, a, a be work on a much slower timescale. Um, and I would just pinpoint that um, it's about that two-way relationship in the charity sector between the charities delivering the impact to the people that and, and causes that really need it, and the donors that are funding that. Um, and one of the biggest challenges but at the same time an opportunity that charities have is with quantifying and reporting the impact that they create in a format which is easily understood to funders and um, governments who create that framework, um, who might be more used to working in a different, um, different kind of language or different sets of metrics um and so we really see at calf that we want to support charities with all aspects of their government but we place equal emphasis on encouraging the donors and particularly our high net worth and corporate donors who have the capacity to provide unrestricted patient capital at scale to evolve the way they are funding um so we're, we're really focused on the thing, and that's our um unique perspective on the market on the whole charity sector is the fact that we work with so many donors and we work with the charities on the front line and we're able to influence change in both directions so the pressure is is not on charity mm. to evolve um on their own
2: no absolutely and uh, fantastic work uh, you know your organization is doing you mentioned uh, the cost of living crisis um and also the issues around livestock. So what are the main benefits for charities um, such as the Charities Aid Foundation?
4: In Sorry, just repeat the question. In terms of the cost of living crisis? Yeah,
2: in terms of the uh, cost of living crisis and the issues around li- livestock, what are the main benefits um, for charities such as the uh, CAF?
4: Um, well, uh, the um, the cha- charities play uh, and non profits play an absolutely vital role in our society, and I think that um, through uh, the issues that have emerged from the last few years, um, we've seen that uh, the ability of charities to respond to those issues quickly. Um, has been absolutely essential to, to um, ensuring that uh, the suffering of people um, you know, uh, is kept to a minimum as far as it possibly can. And we've seen that actually um, the benefit to charities is that as they are able to respond and meet those needs, trust in the charity sector actually increases. So during the pandemic and during the last few years, there was a, our, um, some of our research and reports of evidence that the trust in the charity sector increased to its high, highest level um, that, it ha- the, that it had in many, many years. It reached a peak of about 60% of people saying that they really trust charities. And indeed, other research shows that charities and businesses are the most trusted um, organisations in UK over the media and government. And so I think, um, as I say, that's the opportunity for charities is to bring that value to life um, and encourage more support for causes that ultimately may be neglected by um, other sectors. Uh,
2: great. Edward Garrett, Head of Private Clients at the Charities Aid Foundation. Thanks so much for taking your time out this morning and joining us.
4: Thank you for having me. <laughs>
2: Thank you. Zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Uh we just listened to Edward Garrett, um and he shared his expertise on this particular subject. Uh what are your thoughts, Brother Vale, on this on this topic?
1: On this topic, um well yes, uh, I think that uh, it is a very important topic. I think that uh, um um charitable giving i think it's uh, it's important in any community because uh it is also one which uh, brings uh, people together uh people of all uh, elements of society of all uh, or, of all strata uh, together and uh, it gives uh, that sense of uh, togetherness which uh is important in in a community in a society that you know we are all uh, one, we are looking out for each other. Those who are affluent, those who are able, uh, are not insensitive uh, to the difficulties of those who are less able. And uh, so that's a very uh, strong message that uh, is delivered through uh, this kind of action of charitable giving and of being uh, being uh, concerned and showing concern for those that are not uh, as uh, well uh, endowed as, as you you uh, probably are. So it's a very important um, aspect, very important social uh, um, aspect, bringing social benefits as well. And something that uh, Islam uh, strongly endorses. And it is, um, for, for that reason, I'm sure that uh, um, this uh, particular uh, um, activity is very much encouraged in Islam, uh, and we find it being emphasised again and again. And I'm sure you'll cover the the uh, religious aspects uh, to this. But we know that uh, prophets of God, um, who uh, are very sensitive, serious uh, to the uh, plight of um, all. Uh, humanity, that they are ones that uh, lead in this particular respect. We know that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, would give away almost everything uh, in, away mm-hmm. in in charity, and that uh, when uh, he was um, on his deathbed, he was concerned about some um gold or silver, the various uh, uh, versions of this that, that was still in his possession, and uh, he would not rest until uh, it was given away in charity. And it was when it was given away in charity that uh, he felt uh, relieved. So this is the uh, the conduct of uh, our Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and it was also something that was uh, also found with the. Uh, founder of the Umdi Muslim community, the Promised Messiah and Islam. He also uh, was somebody who gave away um, uh, everything uh, uh, that that he had, and uh, it is recorded that uh, he would never uh, if somebody asked for something, he would never uh, would make sure that that person was not disappointed. There is this incident about one favorite uh, Copy of the Holy Quran that uh, he used to possess, and uh, a visitor uh, on uh, uh, clocking onto it asked for it. It was his favorite copy of the mm. Holy Quran. But because he asked for it, he gave it. Uh, and um, I I forget the rest of the but the the rest of the story because when he was asked as to why he did it, um, um, he quoted a verse of the Holy Quran. Mm. Quran. Uh, and that was something that actually was something that satisfied. When I remember it, I'll i uh,
2: repeat it. Do you think it was the the verse or <laughs> that uh, spend you won't attain uh, righteousness until you spend from what you love?
1: Uh, that's a very appropriate verse, but it wasn't <laughs> that one. No? Okay. okay. Okay, it was a different one. Um, right? Um, but that's uh, that's also very relevant relevant to what we're discussing uh, that particular verse. Um, but um, th- what I was trying to say is that um, uh, prophets of God are very generous uh, when it comes to charity, and they feel it's very important, and they express that through their own conduct.
2: Absolutely, and uh, we did play a small clip on uh, zakat as well uh, earlier, uh, just uh, one or two, you know explain a bit more about that the concept of zakat uh, this was not totally new to Islam Uh, similarly alms have been given uh, had been enjoined upon the Israelites and the Christians as well and Islam zakat takes the form of a prescribed uh, contribution based on a person's wealth and income and the rate of contribution varies with the kind of property owned but on average work works out to to be two and t two, two and one and a half percent, so two point five, of the total value and the proceeds of zakat, are supposed to be devoted towards relieving poverty and distress, helping those in debt, uh, providing comfort and convenience for travelers, providing stipends for scholarships, providing ransoms for prisoners of war for propagation of Islam, meeting the expenses for the collection of zakat and other things which benefit the society. So uh, zakat, therefore, is a duty enjoined by God in the interest of the society as a whole. Uh, And while on one hand these charitable contributions provide for the needs of the society, on the other hand, the act of giving in the name of God purifies the heart of the contributor from selfishness and greed. Uh, so that's just a little introduction on zakat Uh, we're going to be continuing this discussion after the eight o'clock news Um, so we're just going to be going for a short break uh, and we'll be back after that so don't go anywhere we'll be back shortly after this news
0: you are listening to the recording of a live show please do not call or text as this is a
2: recording and lines are now closed. In the name of Allah, the gracious, the merciful. Uh alaikum. peace be upon you, and welcome back to the Breakfast Show. You are joined by myself Tokid Ahmed. and Brother Walid here in the studio of Voice of Islam and we are discussing this topic of charity. Um and we're discussing what does Islam say with regards to charity. Uh this is a very important Uh, subject and, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, when we look in the Holy Quran as well, the Holy Quran also says that, you know, not only is it a duty that you look, you help that particular person who asks for help, but also those individuals who don't ask for help and they're vulnerable, it's a duty uh, as a Muslim that we should help those individuals as well. Another verse of the Holy Quran uh, from chapter 24 verse 23 Allah the Almighty says in the name of Allah the Gracious and Merciful And let not those who possess wealth and plenty among you Swear not to give out to the kindred and to the needy And to those who have left their homes in the cause of Allah Let them forgive and forbear And do not desire that Allah should forgive you Allah is most forgiving, merciful So in the early days of Islam, the social economic teachings of Islam proved fully equal to the demands made upon it. And the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, uh, not only insisted upon simple modes of living, but as soon as Muslims achieved political power, history bears witness that the needs of the poor were also fulfilled from cigar supplements by voluntary subscriptions. And in this connection of the companions of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, used to often make great sacrifices, and Hazrat Abu Bakr, uh, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with them on one occasion he contributed his whole property, um, and on another, uh, Hazrat Usman contributed almost whole of his belongings. So that in accordance with this teaching, the needs. Of the people, uh, were fulfilled according to the requirements of the age, and as, uh, Brother Walid also mentioned earlier, that if we look at the example of the prophets, you know they too, um, you know that if we, if you look at them throughout their life, uh, you know they they cared for the poor, for the vulnerable, um, and uh, even you know regarding the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, it's narrated that when it uh, came to Ramadan, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, will further increase in giving to charity. And truly, this, in the eyes of Allah the Almighty, is very blessed. And uh, some of the work, you know, which uh, Humanity First is doing, uh, so this is a charity within the Amdi Muslim community, is has been, um, you know, very exemplary and uh, providing uh, clean water to the to People of Africa, you know, this is this is some of the work they are doing, which is under Water for Life, and uh, I personally myself got to see, um, you know, some of the work they were doing in uh, in Mali in West Africa, uh, providing water, and you know, you can literally see how how much it means to the locals as well. Um, that when you know when they had erected the 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 tap water over there, then. Uh, Fresh water was coming out. All of the locals, they rushed towards the clean water. Um, and, you know, that itself, uh, it was a great sight to see, you know. Um, and, and this something which uh, we take for granted, you know, as we do have clean water on a daily basis. So I actually wanted to play a small clip for our listeners. Uh, this is uh, from, this is a short documentary on Humanity First. So... In 2020, um, they had the 25 years of humanity first so uh, they made a short documentary on that, so we're just going to be listening in.
6: 1992, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih Rabeh Rehmahullah Ta'ala gave his guidance to the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to set up an independent organisation which would help humanity within the frameworks of the values of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community to serve on the basis of need alone, irrespective of race, gender, religion or age. Work began soon after, and later in 1995, Humanity First was officially registered in the UK, which is why this year marks the 25th anniversary.
7: Hence, as a Jamaat, we have always strived to fulfill our duty of serving others for the sake of Allah the Almighty. And we are doing this in different ways and through various means, according to our abilities. We seek to feed those who are hungry. We seek to give water to those who are thirsty. And we seek to care for those who are sick or suffering in any way, and to provide them with suitable treatment, as you have already seen in some of the uh, short footage. Thus, all of you who are serving the humanity first, um, humanity first, must remember that this is your purpose. And so, With great devotion, you should um, expend your energies for the sake of this blessed cause. Certainly, it was to fulfill this objective of serving others selflessly, for which Humanity First was established. This is what sets out, apart from other organizations, is what sets you apart from other organizations because you are not serving in Humanity First, only due to your good nature or as a worldly duty. Rather, your service is actually a demand and calling of your faith. As I have explained, serving humanity is a fundamental tenet of Islam. Islam requires us to bandage the wounds of those in pain, to remove the anxieties of those who are distressed, and to show love and compassion without any desire for recognition or worldly reward. Thus wherever any person is suffering or facing cruelty, it is your duty to be there to help and support them. Always try to increase your output and never become lazy or satisfied with your past achievements. Instead, your targets should always be to elevate the standards of uh, care provided by Humanity First through increased service and by helping as many people
6: as possible. The telethon was a 24-hour event across the 58 registered branches during which many countries ran live feeds or events to raise awareness of our activities and to help raise vital funds. The day began in New Zealand, where the team distributed 160 food rations in Auckland Later in the morning, Indonesia began their live feed from their studios whilst also running a blood drive locally in support of COVID relief efforts. Bangladesh held an event marking the 25 years in Dhaka. In Mauritius, the team ran a live event including free medical checks and a blood drive to help local health services and had put up a billboard on the street marking the anniversary. The first of the European live feeds began in Germany, covering works across Eastern Europe and many parts of Africa, such as Benin and Sao Tome, where a new hospital is under construction. There was also a message of support from the Minister of Health in Kosovo. Into the afternoon, the Middle East ran an awareness session with active involvement from Sierra Leone, who had also planted a thousand cashew trees, and provided 500 warm meals for orphans near the capital, Freetown. Other European telethon feeds went live in France and Sweden. France showcased the homeless support projects in Paris, Strasbourg and other cities and also raised funds for projects in Niger, while Sweden highlighted their Covid relief work in the cities of Gothenburg, Malmö and Stockholm. The Netherlands ran a joint live event with South Africa for whom they were raising funds and alongside the telethon feed the teams were simultaneously distributing food to a homeless shelter in Amsterdam and to hundreds of vulnerable families in Cape Town, Durban and Johannesburg. The UK team ran a telethon with live interviews from across Africa and the Middle East as well as covering a feature on the new hospital in the Ivory Coast which is currently under construction. There were live segments from the new food bank in Mayfield in West Yorkshire, which is already providing a vital source for the local community. Many other countries were also doing awareness campaigns and fundraising, including Austria, Belgium, Norway, Switzerland, and Denmark. Guinea Bissau also ran their own telethon and also distributed over one tonne of rice in Bo for families affected by floods. Across Africa, the local teams had done a great job raising awareness locally. In Ghana, the team had been doing blood donations and street cleaning in Wa and Bolkatanga and put up a billboard on the main highway near Kosoa. The Kenyan team ran a menstrual hygiene training session for girls in Koapso. The Ugandan team had distributed 200 maternity packs for expectant mothers in Kampala and Nyanga. Many of these teams attracted media coverage from TV, radio, and print media. Into the evening, the USA and Canada began their telethon feeds, including live feeds from partner countries where they are supporting projects such as the Nasser Hospital in Guatemala, and projects in Haiti, Belize, and Guyana. Congresswoman Norma Torres was very passionate about the work of the USA team in her home country of Guatemala. I congratulate
3: you for achieving 25 years of promoting and safeguarding human life
6: and dignity. There were messages of support from senior dignitaries in the USA and Canada, including the Prime Minister of Canada himself. Alhamdulillah, the telethon day was a major success and raised over $4 million towards projects, including the ongoing response to coronavirus, where Humanity First is responding in 77 countries. Across over 50 countries, this became Humanity First Day. Humanity First would like to thank all of their volunteers and donors, without whom Humanity First could not be effective. Viewers can find out more about the work of Humanity First at their international website,
2: So that was a small uh, documentary on Humanity First. Um, You know, the 25 years uh, which had taken place in 2020. And uh, as mentioned, you can find more on the website there. So yeah, with that, we'll conclude this uh, particular segment. Um, And uh, I'll hand the mic over to Brother Valid if he can start us off on the second segment.
1: Yes, thank you very much for that. Um, yes, the second uh, main topic that we had to address uh, was uh, this question. The question is, has human intelligence reached its peak? Uh, so this is the question, and it's something that was picked up by us on the BBC uh website it, says, it talks about IQ and the fact that uh, it's uh, not s- supposed to be increasing uh, um, throughout uh, the ages and uh, certainly not in the future. Uh, the gist of what it is uh, saying is that are our IQs set to increase forever or are we on the cusp of decline? Uh, David uh, Robson explored the past, present, and future of intelligence. Uh, since the intelligence test was invented more than uh, 100 years ago, our IQ scores have been steadily increasing. Even the average person today would have been considered a genius compared to someone born in 1919, a phenomena uh, known as the Flynn effect we may have to enjoy it while we can. The most recent evidence suggests that this trend may now be slowing. It may even be reversing, meaning that we have already passed the summit of human intellectual potential. But as many of us uh, know from our own social circles, living with other people can be hard work. You need to keep track of each uh, person's personalities, their likes and dislikes, and whether or not they can be trusted with gossip. And if you are working on a group activity like hunting, you need to be able to follow what each member is is doing as you coordinate your activities. For humans today, a lack of social understanding causes embarrassment for our ancestors. It was a matter of life or, or, or death in the past. Besides uh, presenting some of those immediate challenges, uh, the larger social groups would have allowed members to share ideas and build on each other's inventions, resulting in new technologies and cultural innovations such as tools that could improve the efficiency of hunting. And, and for that to work, you, you need to have the intelligence to observe uh, and learn from others, uh, pr- uh, providing uh, another push for greater brain power. Uh, when our ancestors left Africa around uh, 70,000 years ago, they were smart enough or clever enough to adapt to life in almost every corner of the planet. The astonishing cave art suggests that they were fully capable of thinking about huge cosmological questions, including perhaps their own origins. There is evidence that we may have already reached the end of this era with the rise in IQs, stalling, and even reversing. If you look at Finland, Norway, and Denmark, for instance, the turning point appears to have occurred in the mid-90s, after which average IQs dropped by around 0.2 points a year that would amount to a seven-point difference between generations. So that's essentially what uh, this uh, particular um, uh, website had to offer on this particular subject. Um, um, I don't know what your thoughts are, uh, Imam Toki, on this?
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, it's... Uh, what we see is that uh, by the grace of Allah, the Almighty, you know, in that time, um, on earth, you know, where technology has advanced so much and it's reached that uh, peak, you can say, you know, um, if you look at it in terms of technology, in terms of education. Um, and what's interesting is that, you know, when we are discussing this topic, I always think that, you know, where Allah the Almighty has looked after the needs of man and has perfected uh, man in this way, uh, you know man, his intel intellect has increased, you know he's he has advanced so much in his technology um, and you know in what he has built at the same time, Allah the Almighty, he did not leave the spiritual side uh, as well rather uh, what we what the the Muslim community, what we say is that if you look at Islam, um, Islam is the perfect religion and this was in the perfect time that uh, just as when man had advanced and his intellect had advanced Allah the Almighty had su- sent Islam uh, at that time of need um, mm. and uh, this is what we see is that uh, if you compare Islam to other religion uh, It is perfect in its form, uh, you know, Islam, um, you know, if you compare it to Christianity, for example, Christian was, uh, you know, says in the Bible that it was for the lost sheep of Israel. But Islam itself, uh, as, you know, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said that he has come for the whole of mankind. And, uh, you know, everyone through Islam, really, everyone has come together. And to learn more on that, to learn more on this particular aspect, we are joined by our first guest. So, Brother Walid, please, if you can introduce our first guest. Uh,
1: yes, thank you. Yes, uh, it's Imam Asif Munir. He hails from New Zealand. Uh, Asalaamu alaykum, wa uh, uh, san
3: alaykum. As- right oh
1: very well thank you it's uh morning it's a bright sunny morning here what's the weather like where you are
3: <laughs> um we we just hit winter ah, and it is okay is it, really it snowing right now. uh no it, it doesn't snow here unfortunately <laughs> ah
1: okay it's not that cold then
3: yeah okay it's just, it's just right um chilly
1: right um, well, tell us a bit about uh, about yourself, if you don't mind, uh, to begin with, and uh, um, the work that you that you're currently engaged in.
3: Yeah, so I was born in Germany in nineteen ninety-seven. Then I, my parents, they migrated to the UK, and that's where I lived for almost you know twelve to thirteen years in Croydon, South London, and that's where I um, entered the MD Muslim. Seminary, which is called Jam in the UK in 2014, and I graduated in 2021, and I was posted officially as a missionary as an Imam in New Zealand in 2022. And over here, I um, take care of a small community in New Zealand in a small town called Hamilton, and I'm I'm also in charge of the outreach department, which is you know um, in in our Muslim terminology we call it muhtam muhtam for our this community,
1: and uh, um, you know, is there a community in Auckland? Um, um,
3: yes, yes. So in Auckland, we have the main community. Mem- right. uh, we 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 have a main mosque in Auckland, right? And that's where we have a senior imam. Also, majority of the Emiratis reside uh-huh. in Auckland.
1: And how far is Hamilton from Auckland?
3: It's an hour drive. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's All an hour right. drive. Uh, we, we, we're discussing the topic of uh, human intelligence, and we can see that just yeah. as human intelligence has advanced over the years and has reached its perfection or near perfection. Uh, similarly, Allah the Almighty had sent the religion of Islam, which is a, per, uh, a, per, a perfection uh, in terms of religion, and uh, uh, and uh, this was in accordance to the need of the of the time uh, Why why is that? Why is that the case? What would you say to that?
3: You know, uh, Mr. Willi, you made an interesting point that human intelligence has advanced over the years but you know God Almighty he, he states very clearly in the Holy Quran that no matter how much um, humanity advances in technology That even if that even if the whole world comes together, they cannot even create a small fly So, you know, God Almighty made a clear statement that no matter how advanced society gets It's never going to outpace um, God Almighty's teaching or Islam Mm -hmm. So You know God Almighty we Muslims we believe God Almighty has sent prophets in every single nation and these prophets they taught the um, respected communities or the respected nations about the unity of God Almighty, about the message of God Almighty. And gradually as time goes on, as the prophets pass away, you know, they, all, all the members, they go astray and they, they lose their real teaching. Mm-hmm. So the actual um, original teaching that the prophet has come with is, you know, it's it's no longer in its original form. Right. And that's why there's always a void and a gap a spiritual gap so that's why god almighty keeps on sending prophets to rejuvenate and revive um, its original teachings
1: right Um, now islam we consider is a universal religion it's a religion uh, for for everyone the whole of mankind Uh, it's also believed that uh, other religions were for a particular people uh, for a particular time uh, can you uh, shed some light on the, on this particular aspect of her, of our belief
3: Yes so God almighty he says very clearly in the Holy Quran that Islam is a complete religion that I have completed your deen, your faith for you and you know Islam teaches that there is only one God, the unity of God almighty and we believe that every single prophet, whether it was Moses Jesus Daniel, Solomon, Adam—no um, matter what prophet was mentioned in the Bible, every single prophet they talked about the unity of God Almighty, which is called Dohi. And something interesting for the viewers to note is that Jesus, who um, you know, who came two thousand years ago, he spoke Aramaic. And if you um, if you if you go in Google, or you just type in God Almighty, God in Aramaic you would find that aramaic in god uh, in uh, sorry the, the way you say god in arabic is uh. by is when you say allah oh. which is really similar which, which is really similar with um arabic mm, identical. So islam mm. doesn't, yeah exactly so mm. islam doesn't essentially teach anything different of course there's we have the five pillars hajj Zakat, Ramadan. but of course the the essence of islam you know they we, we islam didn't bring anything else because islam the same message just like the previous prophets and like i said as time goes on when the prophets pass away the teachers become corrupt and and eventually the subjects the people and they lose their purpose in life and we see this in the bible as well because in the jews they had a concept which is called eye for an eye and when jesus came he said okay you guys believe this but it is better for you to you know, if you get slapped in one cheek, you present your other cheek, mm-hmm. so that these people can be more soft and tender. But you know, Islam came, and Islam said no. Is, is he, um, is, Islam made a big claim that Jesus said and said to Suha, that for you, you have the total right to punish the person back in the same capacity. But it, but it is better for you if you forgive, and that's how God Almighty, you know. Um, made it clear in term, um with Islam that Islam is a universal religion, and that's why in the second verse of the Holy Quran, God Almighty, you know, very beautifully states that the Rabbul Al-Amin, that He is the Lord of all the worlds, no matter if you're a Christian, Jew, atheist. Uh, this is what we believe essentially. Yeah. No,
1: no, very well explained. Thank you very much. It's a more, it's a very much a comprehensive faith. Uh, and a comprehensive, yes, of course comprehensive teaching, right? Um, your your yeah. colleague Imam Tokiri is with me, uh, so he wants to ask a few questions if you don't mind.
2: Yeah. Salam alaykum Asif. How are you doing this morning?
3: Well, assalamualaikum. I'm really well. How
2: are you? Alhamdulillah, very good. Um, I wanted to ask you. You've uh, we've looked at how Islam itself is a universal religion and. When when we look at it and we compare it to other scriptures, we can see how it's distinct. Um, similarly, if we look at the Holy Quran as well, the Holy Quran is the perfect book when when it's compared to all other divine scriptures as well in terms of its memorization, its eloquence, and authenticity. If you can also um, you know enlighten us on this uh, particular subject as well.
3: Yeah, so if we compare um, the Bible with the Holy Quran or any other divine scripture, previous scriptures with the Holy Quran, you know, there's a big difference because we believe that, you know, when God Almighty revealed the Holy Quran to Prophet Muhammad, He revealed it through an angel, and you know, the Prophet, Prophet um, of Islam, peace be upon him, he memorized these um, verses, and sometimes, you know, he made the he made the companions. Write it down on a whether it was a piece of wood or a cloth or any other material, and that's how the companions wrote it down. And eventually, they passed it down through generations and also memorized those particular verses. Because some people have this they have this misconception that the holy Quran was gathered you know way after the demise of the Prophet Muhammad, but it, that's not the case. Because Abu Bakr, he was the first caliph of Islam, the first. Leader of Islam after the demise of the Holy Prophet, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he ordered all the Muslims to, um, you know, to pow and compile all the verses of the Holy Quran so that we Muslims can have a a um, a form of, a form of book with us, a physical book with us, and you know, if just just for argument's sake theoretically, if every book gets wiped away from this earth and And if every PDF file gets destroyed, you know the Holy Quran is the only book which can be revived again. Do you know how? Of course you do, but let me just talk for the view that through memorization, because every single Muslim, we are taught to memorize the 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 divine um, scripture. and just a few months ago, one two, three months ago, I was reading on the news that mm. in Pakistan they were they are more than 1 million children who have memorized the whole um, um, the, the whole um, Holy Quran the whole divine book so in Pakistan more than 1 million children have memorized this beautiful book of God Almighty and if you compare with the Bible no one has memorized the Bible no one knows who the narrators were there's no chain of narrations there are countless of contradictions in the Holy Bible to the extent that you know, Jews they believe that this is this is just a small example, Jews believe that the Old Testament was revealed to Moses. But if that's the case, you know, in Deuteronomy, if you check Deuteronomy in its um, in in the last few chapters of Deuteronomy, you can see that someone added a pot. And that author or that person who added that pot, he wrote about the grave of Moses. So if this book was revealed to Moses, then how did Mo- Moses write about his own grave? You know what I mean? It does does mm-hmm. that make sense?
2: Absolutely. And,
3: yeah, and also b- regarding the eloquence of the Holy Quran, you know, there were so many companions, so many Muslims at the time of Prophet Muhammad, who fell in love with the Holy Quran. And there's, there's this big example of Umar, Hazar Umar, the second caliph, the second spiritual leader of Islam when he um the second caliph the khalifa when he he at, at in the in the beginning um, before he accepted islam he was he was staunch he was a staunch enemy of islam and when he heard about the message of islam you know he became very furious he wanted to show the prophet of islam that's how much he hated islam but when he found out that his brother-in-law and his sister accepted islam he first went to their house and that's when that's where his sister recited the verses of Surah Taha to him. And you know, that's how Hazrat Umar, he fell in love with the Holy Quran because it's so eloquent and so written so beautifully.
2: Absolutely. And, and you know, this itself is a great prophecy from Allah the Almighty from which we find in the Holy Quran as well. That Allah the Almighty says in Surah Hijr verse number 15 that Inna Nahnu نَزَلْنَا Wa That Allah The Almighty Is The One Who Has Sent Down This Zikr This Holy Quran And He Himself Will Be his Guardian And You Know When When It Comes To Comparing The Scripture As Well You Know We As You Mentioned Brother Asif That You Know You Just Look At Pakistan There Are Millions uh, Of Reciters Of The Holy Quran So You Know When When It Compares To The Preservation As Well Allah The Almighty beautifully as mentioned in this prophecy that he himself created the means as well and how this perfect book would be itself will be preserved as well my my last question to you is that now when we're looking in the holy quran allah the almighty he had prophesied that uh, the advancement of when you know when this advancement of technology when it will uh, appear he also prophesied, prophesied the, adva- uh, the advent of the promised Messiah as well so lastly if you can also uh shed more light on this topic of discussion as well
3: yeah so in for the viewers if if they want to research about this in detail they can check um chapter 81 of the holy quran which is called surah takbir and in surah takbir it's a, it's a really small chapter of the Holy Quran, but it has countless of prophecies regarding the end times. And we Muslims, we believe that the era that we currently are are in, this is the end times. And this is where God Almighty prophesied regarding the advent of a Messiah or a Mahdi, someone that was supposed to come to rejuvenate or revive the, um, the faith. And, you know, just, just by clicking through this chapter, you see countless of prophecies regarding, you know, the advancement of um, technology. For example, you know, God Almighty says in, um, in chapter 81 that when the she-camels, 10 months pregnant, are abandoned. Hmm. So uh, when this verse was revealed, <clears throat> it was revealed um, to the Arabs, of course. And the Arabs... You can say the best source of transportation was a camel. So a camel will be equivalent to a, you know, a car to, you know, if you want to compare it to this day and age mm. and, you know, just, 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 just think about it. If someone comes to us now and tells us, look, in such and such, um, um, age, there'll be a time where there will be no cars. We will tell that person, no, you're, you're totally absurd, right? Imagine, this is a prophecy, clear prophecy made 1,400 years ago to the Arabs that the main source of transportation that we have right now will be abandoned. And then the second prophecy is that when the seas are made to flow forth one into the other. And, of course, this talks about um, a different source of transportation the, where people will travel through boats and ships. And, of course, there's another clear prophecy that when people are, bo- are brought together. Now, what does this mean? When people are brought together. Now, this, this can mean social media as well, because we live in such a small world due to social media. I'm sitting in New Zealand, and I can speak to my parents or my um, siblings in Germany or in the UK just by sitting in, you know, in New Zealand through social media, through these technological advances that we have right now. And all these things were prophesied about the end times. And of course, there's another one. Another there's another prophecy that when books are spread abroad, talking about how God Almighty will make sure that in the end times, the um, the um, transportations of um, sorry, um, um, transporting books will be really um, um, how would you say it would 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 be really advanced in the end times, and we see that the the transportations of um, books. Began at the age of the um, of the Enlightenment period in Italy, when people, you know, started started to translate the Bible into English or into Italian mm. or into French or into German, and that's the era when you know people started um, um, spreading books around all around the world. And this was that was I think oh, a hundred or three hundred years before the advent of the promised
2: of صلى Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah. and you know, you you mentioned this prophecy what is in nufusu, nushirat and and the books yeah. are spread abroad. You know, I remember our our teachers used to tell us yeah you know sometimes they needed to get some books they would have to travel, for one place to three four hours just to get maybe a book but now within a click of a button, you know we we can get access to. Uh, unlimited supply of books, and you know, we can research uh just with the click of a button, so absolutely. Uh, so thank you so much, uh, Imam Asif Munir, for joining us this m- morning and and sharing uh light on this very important subject. Um, you have uh, I, I would let the listeners know as well, you have actually uh, written an article as well for uh, Wakfino as well, uh, for our Wakfino magazine as well, for Ismail magazine, so that's also going to be, readers can read that online on our website on org. so do benefit from that as well. Um, how's, how's your work going by the way? Your your uh, outreach work going in New Zealand?
3: It's going really good. I was just driving to a different town for the outreach purposes as well for W E purposes and that's why I was just on a motorway and then I was just parking aside. <laughs> Well, yes, i uh, it's gone really good.
2: Yeah. What What's the view of the locals there in in New Zealand?
3: Um. The, so sorry. Um. Can we, Can you repeat again?
2: What's What's the view of Islam in in the in the from in the locals when oh, you when the, you the do? the view.
3: Yes, yes. You know, it's it's really interesting that you mentioned this because the Maoris, the native people of uh, New Zealand, they sort of. Um, not despised, but they have something against Christianity because they don't really like the British because they believe that the British came, conquered the land. And, you know, they they are looking for a religion. And that's why some people, majority of my contacts are Maoris because they are looking for a religion. They're looking for a belonging. Um, Of course, due to social media and some influences, the message of Islam, you know, spreads even more. And some people, they come up to me and they ask me controversial questions regarding polygamy or, you know, many other um, Islamic commandments. And that's when, you know, when that's when I get the opportunity to um, educate them about the Islamic principles, the values and teachings as well.
2: Absolutely.
1: Uh, Imam Asif, uh, you mentioned the Maoris. Uh, do, Do they have a belief system? What is their believe do they have a belief in god or a creator
3: um yes it's interesting that you mentioned this a majority of them are not christians they most of them believe in a supreme being and a high being Mm -hmm. but they don't have any sense of belonging but they believe in you know just like uh, in pakistan in many um illiterate or um or in the many villages they they believe in peers. For example, like a saint or a you know, a pious person. Similarly these maoris they have a peer or they have a saintly person who they admire. Mm-hmm. and um I'm just I'm I'm doing a research piece regarding one of the one of what one of the um Maori saints as well because obviously God Almighty he says in the Holy Quran that he has sent a prophet in every single nation and um these maoris they admire one um particular person who um he has a really strange name his name is narawaya
6: mm. and
3: they believe that he he came to unite people and to bring people together and he fought for 40 days and etc and obviously us muslims we believe that you know a person that passed for 40 days or caused people towards Goodness forbids people from evil. You know that that person has the qualities of a prophet. So that's why I was just wondering that you know there's a slight possibility that this particular person can be you know a Maori prophet or a prophet that God Almighty sent into New Zealand. So that's my you know my research that I'm conducting nowadays.
1: Okay, now that's fascinating, fascinating. Uh, uh, Very interesting. Look forward to whatever you're able to produce as a result of your research.
3: Yeah
2: great thank you so much uh imam asif Munir, for joining us uh this morning It was a pleasure listening to you thank you
3: thank you very much thank you for having
2: me okay, okay.
1: uh where do we go from here where Do we have can we have a bit more uh islamic teaching on this
2: yes absolutely i mean uh, imam asif uh Munir, he mentioned the the holy quran as well and how the holy quran itself is the perfect scripture and uh, this is what Allah the Almighty mentions in the Holy Quran as well. Uh, Allah the Almighty says in the Holy Quran that this day have I perfected your religion for you and have completed my favor unto you and am pleased to choose Islam as your faith. Thus there is no need for any other scripture after the Holy Quran uh, for it sets all that is needed by man. Now, only the door of converse with God is open. And when we look at some of the preservation of the Holy Quran as well, um, you know, God ensured that such people exist who are able to memorize the Holy Quran from cover to cover. Um, You know, the rhyme of the Holy Quran is very sweet and easy, enabling anyone to memorize it fully or in parts without difficulty and the recitation of the Holy Quran was made obligatory in Salat, the five daily prayers helping to preserve it. We see that every every prayer, there is a portion of the Holy Quran which is recited, and uh, some of these uh, chapters are small as well, but also uh, we know that in the month of Ramadan as well, uh, the the whole recitation of the Holy Quran is also recited in the Taravi prayers. Um, so this is this is also in that particular month. The whole of the Holy Quran is read in in prayer, and also God created love in the hearts of the people to recite it regularly. God ensured that the Holy Quran spreads through the world right after its revelation, making it impossible. For any group or government to make changes or amendments, and various kinds of knowledge in Islam are based on the Holy, on the Quran, causing the Quran to be quoted in all kinds of books related of, to different fields of study, and the second Caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, Azrat Mirza Bashiruddin Mahmud abad may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him, he says that in his opinion, if the quoted verses of the of the Quran from all these books are collected and compiled even then the Holy Quran can be compiled just from those references and the, the academic form of Arabic never changed and can be understood even today with ease and this helped preserve the original language of the Holy Quran in turn supporting the preservation of the Quran itself and God protected the Quran by sending Fresh revelation in its support through the Mujaddidin and uh, others, other chosen by him, and and you know as the as I mentioned earlier, this verse, which I mentioned earlier, that Inna Nahnu zikra, Inna Wa Inna lahu Not only does God Almighty talk about the preservation of the Quran itself, but also the meaning itself. So He sends through His saints through. You know the promised Messiah, peace be upon him. Even those interpretations of the Holy Quran, which didn't make sense. You know, though it was through the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, and through the successors, his successors. You know, these different interpretations, which made no sense whatsoever. It was through them, you know, um, that they had shed light upon them. That this is this is the true meaning on these particular topics. Um, and you know we, we you know you can listeners can read more on this if they if they go on Al Islam and uh, you know they search this topic. So also if we look at the promised Messiah peace be upon him when it came to the advancement of technology. We see that the promised Messiah peace be upon him he also used all available resources at that time to spread the word of Allah the Almighty. Um... We know that Thomas Edison, he invented the phonograph to record sound in 1877 and it was registered with the gramophone trademark in 1887 and the technology of this recording device was greatly enhanced in the Volta Laboratory of Graham Bell. And in those days, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he learned... That one of his companions, Hazrat Nawab Muhammad Ali Khan, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him, he owned this recording device. And at the instructions of the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, Hazrat Nawab Muhammad Ali Khan, he brought that photograph to Qadian. And on November 20th, 1901, the recording ceremony took place. And the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, he wrote a very famous poem on this occasion that the voice is coming from the phonograph. Find God with your heart, not with futile talk and gossip. And Hazrat Maulvi Abdul Karim Sialkoti May God Almighty be pleased with them. Then he recorded the recitation of the Holy Quran and a Persian poem written in praise of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, by the promised Messiah. Later, a brief commentary of also of uh, Surah Al-Asr by Hazrat Hakim Mawlwi Nuruddin, the first Caliph of the Abdi Muslim Kirti, may Allah the Almighty be pleased with him, was also recorded. However, due to Allah the Almighty's judgment and the plan, these recordings were not preserved. Uh, nevertheless, the great wisdom and the message in the poem, written by the promised Messiah, have been preserved forever. and this event, was just the beginning of the means of communication. From 1950 onwards, the voice of the second caliph started to be recorded and on 27th of December 1952, his speech on the topic of connection with God and in December 1953, a famous speech, Spiritual Journey, were recorded and later in 1960 to 1965 numerous recorded messages and redresses were played at various meetings and conventions especially in the women's annual convention so you know we we see that through history uh the promised messiah peace be upon him he also used technology as a means of propagating the faith and you know even through mta now by the grace of allah the almighty you know and uh, through Voice of Islam, you know, various means, uh the Abdi Muslim community it actively takes part in using technology in propagating um you know the, the true voice of Islam. Uh and this is this is what we see. uh so just just for our listeners as well, a brief little history um uh, which shows the chronicle order of the developments as follows. For example, this is from uh, this all recorded in Al Fazl International. It says that in December 1980, arrangements for translation for foreign guests and delegations were made during the annual convention in Pakistan at that time. In 1984, uh, audio cassettes of Friday sermons of the fourth caliph were distributed throughout the world, and this process continued till the initiation of MTA. On the 1st of january 18 1985 the state radio station of norway started broadcasting the uh, community programs regularly on the 3rd of april 1987 in Dravva at that time at the at the shura which had taken place uh, that was listened to a recorded address from uk by the fourth caliph and uh, on 24th of march 1989 the first friday sermon of the century of the Ahmadiyya of the Ahmadiyyat was broadcasted live to Mauritius and Germany via phone before this a message recorded for the occasion of the celebration of 100 years of Ahmadiyyat was distributed to the communities of the world of the Ahmadiyya Muslim communities of the world on 18th of January 1991 the the live Friday sermon of the fourth Caliph was transmitted to the United Kingdom, Japan, Germany, Mauritius, the United States of America, Denmark. So these just are just a few figures which show that how actively, uh, you know, the the community has used all these means to, um, you know, prof- propagate its, its faith, essentially. And uh, there's a very famous... Um, quote of the second caliph of the, um, the Muslim community as well uh, in uh, on the 7th of January 1938 when a first loudspeaker was uh, when, when it was erected in, in Qadiyan at that time on that occasion uh, the second caliph he said and I quote that a loudspeaker was used for the first time in Qadiyan on the sec- 7th of January 1938 and in his sermon, um, as a Muslim, he stated that now that day is not far, when an individual sitting in a remote place will be able to deliver a sermon and guidance to the world. And at this time, our sources do not permit us to do so; we do not have the means, and there are practical practical challenges in our way. However, one day, all these impediments will be removed. And looking at the manner and the speed with which Allah the Almighty is enabling us to make progress, we are assured that all these difficulties will be removed in the near future by the grace of Allah the Almighty. So a very powerful quote of the second Caliph as well. Um, And now we see His Holiness, uh, his virtual meetings he has with the community from uh, members all around the world, uh, thus all done through MTA as well. So... uh, You know, I just wanted to mention these few points as well Mm -hmm. on this particular segment.
1: Very interesting. The last point you mentioned is very interesting. I mean, those words of uh, uh, the second caliph are are prophetic, aren't they? I mean, uh, what he was saying uh, have, in fact, uh, uh, become true. And uh, we also find nowadays that uh, people are conversing with each other uh, and listening to each other. Uh, sermons can be delivered in one place, and the whole world uh, can be the audience very, very easily. Absolutely. So it's remarkable, and um, it's uh, these uh, technologies uh, are uh, coming uh, into use for the uh, for the propagation of uh, uh, peace and prosperity and the teachings of Islam. So it's a, it's uh, it's very good in that in that res- in that respect. I think uh, we, uh, we're coming to a close. Uh, unless, Imam Takir, you would want to add something before we leave uh, this topic? Uh,
2: that That's it from that's my side. That's
1: it from your side. So uh, we uh, should uh, now come to uh, thank those people who have uh, contributed to this show uh, in one way or another. Uh, uh, most prominently, our producer Basirat uh, Siddiqui is worthy of her gratitude for her hard work, and uh, uh, as well as the hard work of researchers, they're also very much uh, deserving of her gratitude. Neha, Aman, Yusra, and Maha. So thank you f- uh, to all of them for preparing uh, this uh, this particular broadcast. Um, our uh, engineer, Muhammad Shafiq, is also deserving of her thanks. Um, he's making sure that, as far as, and he made sure, yes, that as far as our technical side of the broadcast was concerned, that that went smoothly, and it did. So thank you for to him, and uh, in during the course of the program, we uh, discussed two main topics. Uh, the first was about the need for charity in the current climate. Uh, we talked to Edward Garrett in that respect. Edward Garrett, in uh, war, is the uh, you know, representing the Charities Aid Foundation. and he's the head of private clients in that particular institution. So that was a very interesting conversation that we had with him, and he lent his expertise to us in trying to understand the uh, need for charity in the climb in the current climate. That was the topic we were discussing. And then uh, in the uh, for the second part or the second main uh, item that we had, to address was regarding human intelligence and has human intelligence reached its peak was the question that we were trying to answer uh, we seem to think uh, that uh, human intelligence can be measured by IQ tests I'm not sure whether that is in fact um, um, the uh, the final the final uh, what is it uh, the final marker as far as a final uh, assessment there can be other forms of uh, gauging human intelligence than IQ tests Uh, but uh, when it comes to IQ tests what is of concern is that we may be uh, according to one researcher receding as far as uh, IQ progress is concerned so that may be a cause of concern maybe not Uh, and uh, we certainly had the Islamic uh, angle to this and um, the uh, point about uh, how intellectual progress uh, has been synchronized uh, with the way that uh, divine revelation has descended. Uh, that was something that was ex- uh, explored and uh, how that divine uh, revelation uh, culminated in the, uh, the revelation of the Holy Qur'an, the, we consider to be the perfect, uh, perfect book. Um, so that was something that was explored by Mr. Uh, Imam Asif Munir, all the way from New Zealand, and a very interesting contribution he was able to give us. So uh, thank you to both uh, these uh, contributors, both Edward Garrett uh, and, uh, Asif Munir, and Imam Asif Munir, for lending their expertise and uh, helping us to understand these subjects better. Thank you to all our listeners uh, to uh, who participated Uh, maybe uh, silently, but uh, thank you for listening. And uh, do join us again for the breakfast show. We run uh, it every single day, Monday to Friday, uh, from uh, 7 o'clock to 9. Uh, And until then, until next week, when uh, Imam Toki and myself will be joining the breakfast show again, it's Salaam Alaikum from both of us. And in a few seconds, there will be the news. Salaam